Hello and welcome to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Today I got something a little different for you. I did a live stream with Jacob Sanderson to talk about round two and round three of the NFL draft. We did this during round three. This is a long podcast, about two hours long, but there is some great information here. We hit on basically every player drafted in the second and third round. We go deep on the Zach Charbonnet value, the resulting Kenneth Walker value. We talk about Devin Shane. We talk about the second round wide receivers. We go deep on Dalton Kincaid. There's a lot of great stuff in here, so make sure to check it out. Make sure to follow Jacob Sanderson on Twitter. Subscribe to his Substack, and I hope you enjoy the show. And I should say that the stream starts basically mid-argument. We're already arguing about Zach Charbonnet. We spend only about half an hour talking about that throughout the episode. So forgive us for the kind of uh, sudden start, but uh, hope you enjoy the episode. I have yeah, 100% but, exposure if he goes near the gym. Kenneth Walker was not very good last year. Like, I, I, I know that, but you, you know how game. people... Yeah, but right, you know right, how Ken, people feel like that. Is like, I understand, I understand that he's a skilled running back. No, I don't think it's bad for Geno Smith. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, they just like Jackson Smith and Jigba last yesterday. I just think like, it's I, weird because it's not like Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, right? It's 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 two similar backs, at least in style. By so, the way, we're live. So I don't What's think up, it's, everyone? If you're uh, hopping on, uh, we were in the middle of a heated Zach Charbonnet discussion that I'm sure we're going to get back to very shortly, Uh, but I'll do a bit of a formal introduction. You got Dynasty Zoltan here talking NFL draft. Jacob Sanderson back to join again. Uh, Jacob's a little bit ahead of me on the stream, so he's going to be breaking news. We are currently- You got another running back pick. Oh, the Raiders. Who'd they take? Oh, no, it was actually pick 71. The New Orleans Saints just took Kendra Miller. Oh shit! That is he is going absolutely boom up draft boards. That is very very interesting. How do you feel about that? It is an interest. So I was like, it's not the kind of running back I thought they were going to take. Like to me, it's kind of duplicative with Jamal Williams. I thought that they were going to take more of a pass catching running back as the a fill in for Alvin Kamara while he's suspended. B take over for Alvin Kamara when he's no longer a New Orleans Saint. Um, to me, Kendry Miller is like the kind of back you pair with Alvin Kamara, which is weird because they signed Jamal Williams, who is also the kind of back you pair with Alvin Kamara. So like, I don't really know, like to me, Miller and Williams are both like tackle breaking inside runners. Um, I'm not super sure what Miller provides like. And Jamal Williams, like, 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 I don't think a whole lot of Jamal was, but he was good last year. Like clearly they signed him for a reason. Yeah, and I'm not saying like I'm not. I, I, I don't know. I'm not a big Kendry Miller fan, but like I'm not going to say that Kendry Miller can't be better than Jamal Williams. It's just an odd pick. Like I, it's I don't know. I just did not think that that was going to be the type of running back they were going to select. Like I thought, I didn't even think they would take one this early. The Saints normally don't draft running backs early at all. Um, I don't know. I thought they were going to be a team that would draft like a Kenny McIntosh or an Evan Hall or somebody like that on day three. The, the Miller pick is is fascinating. Um, so that's the fourth running back off the board, right? We, we got Charbonnet yep. in round yep. two. We got Miller now in round three. Yeah, so that's the Charbonnet one is fascinating. We were just talking about that as, uh, as we were just going live. I think that they're more complimentary than the fantasy community thinks in the sense that, like, I just don't really view Walker the way that most people do. 
I think that there's an idea of Walker that he's like Derrick Henry. And I just don't think that that's really backed up by his profile or the data. He's an absolutely elite tackle breaker. There's no question about that. He's extremely fast. He's extremely explosive. My question is like the way people talk about Travis Etienne and the way people talk about Kenneth Walker is so different. And it's so inverse to what their actual results show in the sense like people think of Etienne as like this small, like speed well, back, they're, they're unreliable. Profiles, their college profiles are different. Like I know Charbonnet had a good receiving profile, but Etienne his senior year had what? 45, oh, 50. I'm not saying Etienne and Charbonnet. I'm saying like, if we think of Etienne and Walker, Oh, like, okay. Got you. Got I understand. I, I think that there's similar assets in Dynasty, or well, I mean, now they're less similar, but yeah. I think that they were similar assets in Dynasty, like coming into the draft. But I think that the way people talk about Walker is like, he's a beast on the ground, but he doesn't really catch balls. And then it was like, Etienne is such a good receiver, but he's like not reliable in the run game. And it's like, that's actually not really true. Like, Etienne kind of sucked as a receiver year one. I have some hope to get better there. He's actually bigger than Kenneth Walker. He weighs three more yeah. pounds. I don't think that people actually realize that. Yeah. Um, and then you look at Etienne, it's like from a play-to-play basis, his results are actually really solid, whereas Walker is extremely explosive, um, but struggles with success rate. And I think he can improve in that. But like to me, people almost think that they already have the traits that they don't have and then project the traits that they want them to have. So I guess the way I look at Walker is I think of him as like kind of how people view Etienne. Yeah. which is like a really explosive back who's really good at some things who struggles in the past game and is not super reliable on short yardage. And then I look at Charbonnet and I'm like, that's the kind of guy you pair with Kenneth Walker. He's a guy who yeah. can handle some empty calorie touches between the twenties. He's a guy who can be trusted in short yardage and he can play third downs. And so, Walker's so going to probably upside, be. The upside of this backfield is something almost like a Zeke, Tony Pollard situation. Is that kind of what you're proposing? where where Zeke is Charbonnet and I know Walker doesn't have the receiving game that Pollard does but honestly Pollard wasn't running a lot of routes and he's more of an explosive player no he wasn't yeah like it's something like that right where I think like Walker is getting a lot of the big plays he's getting the fun touches I think Charbonnet is getting like some of the more dirty touches and I don't know and and like Charbonnet is probably playing more of the third downs but I guess that makes sense too because like Zeke until very, very end of the season, exactly. Zeke was getting yeah. all the third downs because he was like the pass protecting guy. Exactly. I don't even so know Pollard is like pass protector. But yeah. yeah. So Pollard, Pollard is like is the explosive walker, first and second down option. Um, and guy who's going to get manufactured touches out wide and in the screen game a little bit. But Charlie right. is the every down guy, going to get a lot of goal line work. It's it's going to be a really interesting walker offense. Is like, right. And you can, and with Walker, like, I don't know why they don't do this more with certain backs, but like Walker should be a guy you feed touches to in the screen game. Like, I don't think he's a natural yeah. receiver in terms of like, he's not going to be beating people on angle routes and stuff. Yeah. But who but cares? Like, he's really explosive. The thing that Walker struggles with sometimes is he makes curious decisions behind the line of scrimmage. What I would do with yeah. Walker is like how Etienne was used in college, which was like, he wasn't a receiving back in the way that Jameer Gibbs is a receiving back, right? Where he's like running routes like a slot yeah. receiver. He was a guy who they were just peppering with screen targets, taking advantage of his speed and tackle breaking ability in space. With Walker, like he's a guy, if you have an opportunity to get him in space with a head of steam, I mean, that's where he's like miles better than Zach Charbonnet, right? Like that's the guy who's going to make a house call, whereas Charbonnet is a chunk play guy. So I'm curious to see how they use them both. It's, it's a pick where like, I love the fit in a real NFL sense 
without factoring in things like cost and opportunity cost and positional value, like in the sense that I think that both these backs are talented and they complement each other well, the fact that they spent two second round picks to do it is pretty stupid. Like I think they could have just signed, I don't know, they could have signed Samaj AP Ryan and gotten 80% out of what you get out of Zach Charbonnet if you're pairing him with Kenneth Walker, right? Like yeah. it's just a silly allocation of resources. Um no, I agree with you. Or they could have got a guy like Evan Hall later in the draft. Like there were a lot exactly. of different ways to go about it. I, so we were talking about it when this live stream started. So for those that missed it, where are you putting? Because I assume you were about medium on Charbonnet, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, I, I like like I don't have like I don't have like a massive Charbonnet like talent take. I think he's like good enough at everything. And he was supposed to get drafted in round two. And that's enough for me. So that was really like my take yeah. on him was like, he's a guy who in theory can get a ton of snaps. Um, one aspect of my take on Charbonnet, which was clearly incorrect, um, was I was like, I think a team is going to draft him that has a pretty open depth chart because to me, the value of Charbonnet is not anything he gives you yeah. on like a per snap basis it's that he's a guy who can be on the field for 80% of the snaps without tipping plays. And so to me, that's the kind of team, like that's the only way he makes it, it, sense. It's almost, like, it's almost like David Montgomery. Yeah. Exactly. Like I like right? him more me, than David Montgomery, but yeah. Right. But that's like kind of the idea is like, okay, he's not going to be great, but he lets us run our offense without having to dictate by package. Cause he can do a bit of everything. And if you say, I'm going to spend a late second round pick on that. And then I don't have to really invest anything else at running back. Like that's, somewhat reasonable to me obviously that's not the situation he lands in where like yeah i don't know his range of outcomes is somewhere between being a straight backup with a ton of contingent upside to probably like the 40 percent side of a timeshare but maybe the pass catching side i don't know it's like not i'm gonna draft a lot of them in rookie drafts because like you're just gonna get a really cheap price on a round two back with like um with a strong profile, but he's so not. So how cheap do you think that's going to be? I don't know. Like, so I'll still probably rank him in the early two, but I don't think that's okay. going to go. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I'll say this. I don't think that him and Kenneth Walker's prices should be super far apart. Like they're. Wow. Okay. So you picks. would have, so you would have Kenneth Walker around running back 20. That means 25. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know offhand, um, but I think I would probably say Kenneth Walker to me is worth like a, a, a late first. I'd probably put Charbonnet at like an early second. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, see both so, of these guys. So looking at Kenneth Walker. I see, I see modal outcome is that Walker is like a mid RB2 this year and Charbonnet is like a mid RB3. I like Charbonnet's contingent upside more than Walker's because I think in a situation where one goes down, like Charbonnet is going to catch more passes, um, but both have good contingent upside. Like Walker could be a mid RB one for sure. And I, and I would say the one thing is like, we know for sure that Walker is going to play a role and probably the lead role. Like, I think it would be surprising if they drafted Charbonnet in the middle of the second round and didn't play him at all, but it wouldn't be like totally out of the range of outcomes for him to just be a straight backup. Whereas like Walker's for sure not going to be a straight backup. So I don't know. I, I guess like I would definitely prefer to have Kenneth Walker, but I don't think that the gap should be as big as it's going to be in the market when you consider that like 
it's not really great when you're a running back who doesn't catch passes and your team just drafted a running back in round two. Like that's not really where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not great. My only contention to that is that like Tony Pollard is most teams running back eight or nine or 10. Um, probably yeah. after this draft, he's maybe RB 12 or so. It's hard for me to put Kenneth Walker below that when he's three and a half years younger and only was outscored. I think he actually outscored him once Rashad Penny got injured. So I know it's going to be a different situation this year because Charbonnet is there, but hypothetically is not true, but the age difference matters as well. I, I, I probably won't have Walker a tier below that range. Um, I see why you would, I think I'm probably just higher on the talent than than you are. So I had Paul, but I don't think Pollard, like, like I said, I don't, I didn't think about it in terms of numbers. Like I, I I don't have my ranks in front of me. I, I said, Walker be worth a late first. I think Pollard, I would have That's fair. a mid first. Like I, I think, okay. Like if it was Kenneth Walker versus Quentin Johnston, I'm taking Quentin Johnston. If it's Kenneth Walker versus Zay flowers, I think I would take Kenneth Walker. So that's like, so I would say like, I'm ahead of the one nine. Yeah. And that's, and, and, that and that's a really, Pollard. yeah, th- that's a really important differentiation. Like yeah. Because the running back position just doesn't have any talents. Like looking at my board, basically after ETN, there's only ETN is my RB, not including the rookies. He was my RB five. So now he's my RB uh, six, I guess, because Walker is going to move below him and the two r- rookies are going to move above him. Yeah. So basically oh, there are back. six running backs in the top three rounds. And after that, there's really no one I want to take until like the late fifth. Like I'll take, like I- I'll take Saquon. I'll take Jacobs. I guess I'll take Pollard, but I'm definitely taking the top six rookie picks over that. And like you said, I'm probably taking seven and eight. I will say that Charbonnet's bad landing spot makes 107 a little bit worse because he was the last guy really available that could have gotten kind of that landing spot and draft capital capital combination to get up into the 107. Now it really looks like we're deciding between Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, and Jordan Addison. By the way, by the way, way, all of the Tennessee fighters just went in a row. (laughs) Yeah, I was just about to say. So Jalen Hyatt just went 73rd to the Giants, and Cedric Tillman just went 74th to the Browns. Uh, Any reactions? Well, first of all, it's pretty crazy that within six picks, the entire Tennessee Volunteers offense just came off the board. (laughs) We have Booker go 68, and then we have uh, Hyatt and Tillman. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's what I think a smart team does if you're the Browns, is you you know – you backfill ahead of time, right? Like yeah. Donovan Peoples-Jones is a, is a great success as a round six pick where you get you a don't want to pay starting him. NFL wide receiver. And the way that you turn a great thing into a bad thing is by paying Donovan Peoples-Jones like $12 million a year because you don't plan ahead, right? Yeah. And so to me, he's their X, Cooper's their Z, and Elijah Moore's the slot flanker this year. And then I think Tillman doesn't really play that much, but – if he shows you enough in camp and whenever he gets action, then you let um, Donald Peoples Jones have a lovely life. And then Tillman yeah. walks into that DPJ role. So not a great fantasy role, but like, I think that's just a smart allocation of resources from what I think is a pretty smart front office and Hyatt to the giants is, uh, I think a phenomenal pick. Like it's funny because I didn't. Yeah, me too. When Hyatt, when Hyatt was supposed to go round one, I was like, that's kind of silly, but yeah. from an NFL value perspective, like, yeah, where should a real, where should a guy who is, has clear real life value as a yards after catch and field stretching player go if they're not going to be able to 
truly dictate coverage, like probably round three um, is a good spot for that. He goes to the Giants. They have a million slot wide receivers. If you're going to run an offense full of Daniel Jones dinking and dunking six, seven yards at a time, like to me, you need a guy to, to stretch the field and make things more open underneath. I think Hyatt does that well. And, and what's great about it is like Hyatt, so much of his production comes up off of motions and stack formations at Tennessee. And, I mean, I think the Giants are probably the most college offense in the NFL in terms of like how they use motion. You look at a guy like Wandell Robinson, who also played in kind of a gimmicky offense and had kind of a gimmicky role. They utilized him pretty effectively. Richie James is another guy who, you know, he had college production. NFL teams weren't really able to get it out of him. He was like a kick return hybrid slot wide receiver type. And, and the Giants made it work, right? I think that they're creative in getting guys who aren't really that traditional wide receiver type into advantageous looks. I, I think they're going to probably use Hyatt really well. He's going to do a ton of jet motion. Um, he's going to get a lot of free releases. Like, I don't know if he'll have a ton of fantasy role, but like, I think it's a really nice real life fit. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good fit for them. I think it's great for the Giants. Like, he's going to push the safeties back, and all of their other players are really suited to get open underneath. So, I mean, even adding Paris Campbell there, it, he doesn't get open. But hypothetically, if he did, it would be underneath. So, as as you know all too well. Um, starting to get some questions coming in on Twitter. This, this is kind of what I wanted to bring up as well. Is Kendra Miller the RB3? No, I, I would definitely draft Zach Charbonnet before Kendry Miller. I think he's a much better prospect. He went an entire round sooner. Um, and like, I guess here's the way I would phrase it. We're concerned about Charbonnet getting volume because he has to deal with Ken Walker, who again, like I'm not the biggest Kenneth Walker guy, but I don't want to come off um, entirely insincere. He's an extremely talented running back. Yeah. If, if we switch spots and Zach Charbonnet was on the Saints next to Jamal Williams, we would not be concerned about him usurping Jamal Williams, right? Like he would be usurping Jamal Williams. We're concerned about Kenry Miller usurping Jamal Williams because he went in the middle of the third round and he's not as good as Zach Charbonnet. So I, I think that that's like, I don't know, that to me says it all. Like I'm not, so it's a better landing spot, but I don't even think it's a great landing spot. Like would it be that surprising if he plays in a timeshare with Jamal for six games, Kamara comes back and he's the RB3? Like that's pretty in the range of outcomes. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because by almost any rushing statistic, Miller actually ranks higher than Charbonnet. Um, and that's right. not something that I saw in film. I know you focus a little bit less on that, but I know you do watch the running backs. The running backs, um, yeah. I, I personally didn't think it was close. I thought that Charbonnet was definitely a better player, mostly because of his receiving game. I mean, Kendra Miller, I believe, had 22 catches um, in college. And Zach Charbonnet put up, what, 45 his last year. He had an 89th percentile target share. Um, so it's tough for me to go against him in that sense. And I will be taking him over Kendra Miller as well. But I think people are going to fall in love with this landing spot for the same reason that Alvin Kamara is so cheap right now. People just assume he's not going to play. When in fact, it's right. very possible, if not likely, that he gets suspended for you know two games or four games, which isn't that big of a deal. Jamal Williams was stealing work from everyone's favorite running back, at least before yesterday, DeAndre Swift. Like, I just am not sure Kendra Miller is going to get much of a role to start off with. And I think Charbonnet, like you said, because of the draft capital, is assured a larger role to start out with. So if we think he's better and we think he's going to get a larger role to begin with, there really is no excuse to take Kendra Miller over him. Right. And I don't want, like, to me, like, I don't really want 
placeholder backs. Like when I say placeholder backs, I, I kind of mean like the guy that you put at RB2 until someone gets injured and you bring yeah. somebody else up off your bench or you trade for somebody or whatever. Like t- to me, like I don't mind taking Charbonnet where like the worst case scenario is he's a straight backup to Ken Walker and they probably won't have anybody else viable on the depth chart. And like, all right, I'm, I'm spending a round two pick for a guy who's one injury away from projecting as like a mid RB one on the week. Like that's like, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Right. Like that's what his worst case scenario to me in this landing spot is like, he's Alex Madison over the course of his whole rookie contract, which like, I don't know, would you go back in time, pay a early second round pick for Alex Madison He's on your bench. He starts two or three times a year for you. You get viable production. And then at the end of his rookie contract, you could probably still sell him for a mid-second round pick. Like to me, that's a totally fine use of resources. It's like you get a guy who you know when to sit, you know when to start. Um, and he still retains value after his contract's up. So if that's if that's worst case scenario for Charbonnet, I think that kind of is worst case scenario. Like store the second round rookie pick to me personally. Oh, you're on mute. Yeah, uh, definitely agree. You don't want to overrate the landing spots um, because things change all the time. And if you look at a guy like Charbonnet, he's a lot more contingent upside if Kenneth Walker goes down than a guy. If Kendra Miller, if Jamal Williams or Alvin Kamara go down, it doesn't really matter. Even if both of them got hurt, whoever they sign as their fourth running back is going to get work just because Kendra Miller cannot play in the pass game yet. He's just not ready for that. So I, I completely agree. Uh, personally, I think I'm going to be moving up some of these wide receivers. But the weird thing is that after the top four wide receivers, none of them really got that good of a landing spot draft capital combination. No. So l- let's talk about some of these guys. Let's start off. I did talk about the first round a lot of my podcast that came out yesterday. So let's talk about the second round a little bit. <laughs> Just really quick. Uh, yeah. The Packers went full Ravens and they doubled down on tight end. So we have now Luke Musgrave and Tucker Kraft are both Green Bay Packers. Wow. Those are two athletic tight ends. Very interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's a statement right there. Uh, plus they went wide receiver um, with uh, Jaden Reed in round two. So they are helping out Jordan Love in a way that they never helped out. Aaron Rodgers, which by the way, I, I, I'm not to digress too much, but I think that that's just a smart move. Cause when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers who can lift up your offense, you invest in things like the defense. Like I, this is right. a complete side note, but I, I understand why you're not taking round one wide receivers when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it too. Right. Like that's, uh, and with love that, right. I mean, there, this is like the classic audition year for Jordan love. So yeah, give him every opportunity. And, and yeah, you know so the Packers are never going to be the team that, like, trades for DeAndre Hopkins, right? That's just not how they roll. So for them, like, yeah, they're going to draft. And, and they also will never draft on in round one. So getting round two and round three receiving weapons, that's the Packers' version of trading for Stephon Diggs. Like, that's what they're yeah. going to do. So, so while we're at it, uh, Packers uh, took the sixth wide receiver off the board, Jaden Reed, a bit of a surprise yeah. in the middle of the second um, round. What what do you think about that? I mean, I honestly haven't dug that deep into Jane Reed yet, so I probably won't have a ton to say. But what do you think about that landing spot? So I'm going to – I had not looked super into Jane Reed because if there's one thing that I don't really look into that much, it's like the wide receivers that aren't projected to have super high draft capital because usually it just kind of ends up not being worth it. Um, and if there are guys that surprise, I dig into them more after yeah. the draft. So I'll add more later. 
That being said, um, when I did that podcast with uh, JJ Zacharyson, that was his number one sleeper wide receiver. And I'll kind of give you the pitch that he gave, which was Jaden Reed before going to Michigan State played at Western Michigan. And at the time, he played with Dwayne Eskridge, who, like, obviously is not a very good NFL wide receiver, but, like, got drafted second round. He's clearly a very good college wide receiver. And then Jaden Reed transfers after that uh, freshman year playing next to Eskridge. After he transfers, Sky Moore comes in. He plays yeah. next to Dwayne Eskridge. Same coaching staff, same thing. And Reed actually produced better than Sky Moore produced in that same offense against Eskridge in the same scheme in terms of having a higher market share. So obviously Sky Moore and Dwayne Eskridge are not exactly uh, two highly successful round two picks to this point. That being said, the fact that he still played with one NFL player and then you can kind of compare his production against that NFL player against another NFL player at a really young age says something. And so then he goes to Michigan state. He has to sit out for a year under the old transfer rules. So he kind of comes in old, but he does have some level of early production. He was used in a dynamic way at Michigan state. They gave him some carries. He was used, I think on special teams somewhat. So he's really interesting. And we've seen the Packers kind of go after this dynamic, all-purpose profile last year, right? They took Christian Watson, who was a guy that had a lot of variable usage. Romeo Dobbs was a guy with special teams ability. Uh, Matt LaFleur's offense um, used a lot of motion. So I think it, it fits what they want to do. Um, I don't know when he's going to play, like, because now they have two tight ends. So they might yeah. want to play in some 12. I think Reed, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of a weird scenario. Like, Watson's going to be on the field every now. And after that, they'll use some combination of dubs and read in the tight ends. And I can't really figure out exactly what combination, but like, it's not an insurmountable depth chart. It's a fun spot. He has some production. I like him more than uh, some of the other goofs that went this round. Yeah. And yes! the thing is, is yes! yes, my Colts just took Josh Downs. Let's go. Ballard is cooking. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Cooking. He had Anthony Richardson. He gets a, wow. athletic, a super athletic quarterback. He takes Josh Downs, and they trade back twice and pick up an extra fourth and an extra fifth of the process. Unreal, man, dude! I, I said on my podcast today that I thought Josh, that I thought Indy would get Josh Downs. I thought it would be in the second round, I but it would uh, be that's in the round that's too. a great value. I like that a lot. I I had in my in my all Colts mock, I had us taking Josh Downs, and was hilarious because I, I actually had the exact thing they did in round two, which they had them taking Richardson. And then this was like my dream Colts mock, not my like projected mock. I had them take Richardson in the first, and then I traded back <laughs> into the second, and then I took Downs in the middle of the second, not in the third. But they wind up basically doing that, and then they also get a corner who they probably would not have been able to get in round three. So um, I'm pretty pumped. Like Colts are having one of the best drafts in the league, I think, so far, in my very unbiased opinion. <laughs> Man, what a good spot for AR, too. All of a sudden, we've, he's got... Like Pittman, Pierce, Downs, Woods, Taylor. That's some infrastructure. You're on mute again, Mike. Yeah, that's not bad at all, especially if their offensive line can, you know, step it up and play like they did two years ago. But um, we'll see. I mean, Anthony Richardson, the one thing I will say about him is he has probably the best, you know, pocket maneuvering and presence in this class. So I expect that that he won't get sacked, what, 60 times like the Colts quarterbacks did last year? At least I hope so. Um, I love that. Not a good spot for Josh Downs, unfortunately. Yeah. 
like, I'm happy because I'm a Colts fan, but um, from a Downs perspective, like there's no chance he's playing in two wide receiver sets, I don't think, because no. the Colts are going to value run blocking and they're going to play their big wide receivers on the outside. Yeah. Um, and they're probably going to want to play in a decent chunk of 12 personnel um, with, like if you look at how the Eagles operated last year with Steichen, like they only had a third wide receiver out there, 50, 60% of the routes. And then you add in that Richardson's really good throwing deep, but not very good throwing intermediate. Um, it's not ideal, but you know, at least you got drafted. We were worried it's about also not. It's not out. ideal because of the passing volume too, which, like you said, I don't think it's going to be very high. And especially if they're playing on a twelve personnel a lot, that's going to be an issue. I I, I don't think he's no. going to have you know 75, 80 catches, but that's okay. Like at least, as you said, at least he got drafted in round three. You know. Yeah. Um, finally stopped the fall. It's interesting that in a draft of all of these short guys, he really did fall. I mean, he's not that much smaller than guys like, you know, Tank Reed. Uh, uh, sorry, Tank Dell is obviously really small. Marvin Mims, Jaden Reed, these guys are all pretty right. small. So interesting that he fell. Uh, Josh Downs or Kendra Miller? Oh, boy. Um, probably going to wind up taking Kendra Miller, to be honest with you. Like, a, I, I just feel like with Downs, like, He's gonna be a he's gonna run like sixty percent of the routes this year, and he's gonna play on probably one of the five run heaviest teams in the league. To me, he's a guy where yeah. if he's really good, we're probably still gonna be able to buy him pretty affordably after his rookie season, right? Like, whereas yeah. if Kendra Miller explodes, like there's a world where Kendra Miller says like fuck, get the fuck out of my life, Jamal Williams, Alvin yeah. spent the whole year, and he's like the RB ten, and then all of a sudden he's worth a round four startup pick. If Josh Downs is good. We're going to be back here in January and be like, you know, who had a 22% targets per route run? Uh, Josh Downs. I'd send an early second out for him. So, like, I'm just going to deal with that later, I think. Yeah, I don't think I'm paying more than, I don't know, a mid-second. Like, I, it's tough because I view a guy like him versus, like, Jonathan Mingo, for instance, who went over a round before him. Well, he went to a situation with a wide-open, wide-receiving core. But I think he's pretty bad at football. So, it's it's – tough to like go completely against my film grades and honestly the quantitative grades with Josh Downs is you know a 90th percentile prospect and Jonathan Bingo is like a 30th percentile prospect obviously that'll change once you factor in the draft capital but that's I don't know it's that's going to be a tough decision for me whether you go with the guy who was drafted in the high second or the mid third um I'm just not interested in drafting Jonathan Bingo oh like, me I, neither I, I'm just, I think he I just, sucks like, if there's like any like I don't know to me, I want to cast a wide net, right? And this, it's a circle back, but like I want to cast a wide net among the players that I actually believe in, in the sense that, you know, I'm not going to draft the guys who are highest on my board all the time because I want to mix in some other guys that I think yeah, maybe have slightly less, 80, slightly less great ADPs, but I still think are good players, right? Mm -hmm. um, or I think are interesting bets. And so to do that, and also still have exposure to my guys, I have to be willing to just straight up zero, like a decent chunk of them. And like John Domingo is just going to be that guy where it's like, I just, I'm not going to have fear of missing out betting on a four year, completely unproductive wide receiver. Like uh, if, if he, if I die, I die. But like, I would way rather bet on bad running back prospects than bad receiver yeah. prospects. Right? Like at least they can fall ass backward into volume. Like, Mingo has to become good overnight. And and I mean, anything's possible, but I just, it's not going to happen for me. So I'm, I'm going to just take guys like Downs. Like I would rather mix Downs into my portfolio while drafting a bunch of running backs 
than sacrifice running back possibilities for likes of Mr. Mingo. Whose ADP do you think is going to be higher? Um, honestly, from uh, in like in normie world for sure, Mingo. In like, yeah, how about like in the universe? Yeah, yeah, in our world. In our world, it's going to be fucking probably down. It's like, I mean, look at last year. Like, it's like you look at aggregated ADP and it'd be like David Bell's ADP is the 211. And then it's like you went at the 204 in all my drafts because all the spreadsheet nerds are are lapping them up. So I think that like Downs is going to be that guy this year, probably where like people are like Deami Brown a couple years ago. I should come up with some examples that actually hit because I think that there must be some. But um, he's going to be for sure a guy that goes like at the two five without with a projection. Like he's going to he's going to project for like forty two receptions for five hundred and eleven yards and three touchdowns, and he's and people are going to be like clicking him at the two hundred four. Yeah, it's a tough situation. I, I'm going to have trouble drafting him at the two hundred four just because I really don't see a path yeah, to that much too. work uh, his first year. Uh, most of these guys don't work out like let like just looking back it was like no. david bell um brian edwards brian edwards was a good one jalen tolbert last year not to the same degree but that was a weird one diami brown for sure is a big one yeah. uh kj hammer went round two that's a little different but i don't know there's there's been there's there's definitely a history of like the players that we well, there's two tiers, right? Then there's like the Tyler Johnson tier where it's like guys at the end of the police says sucks. But you you usually get the one guy where it's like, he went day two. And that's that's like that's the Josh Downs this year, where it's like the NFL didn't hate him enough to fully write him off, but also they sent a pretty strong signal that they like guys that we think are terrible more than they like him, which might not mean that John Mingo is good, but it also might be that uh, Mr. Downs is not great. Ty J Spears, the Tennessee Titans, to fulfill the uh, Darrington Evans um, prophecy. Yeah, that great comp. I like that. That's that's very interesting. Um, haven't heard any news about a Derrick Henry trade since that fake Eagles report dropped last week, but still, Spears gets the clear backup job there. He's a very different well, player could, to Henry. I, I like that. Yeah. Thing. I was going to say, like, I don't think that Spears – well, first of all, they drafted him at pick 81. You draft someone at pick 81, it doesn't mean you have to trade anybody off your roster. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. But also, like, Derek – I mean, him and Derek Henry are, are nothing alike, right? Like, he has a lot more in common with Deion Lewis than he has in common with Derek Henry. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. I think, I think that he can be the satellite change of pace back to Derek Henry for a year. Um, and, and, then, and then people are going to be like, it's his backfield and – and then they're going to draft someone else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely what's going to happen. Derrick Henry's going to leave after next year. There's going to be a two-month sell window on Tajay Spears for a first-round pick. Damn, okay, I'm moving him up my board because that's exactly what's going to happen. So talking about some of the running backs that have went, there are five running backs off the board. We pretty much touched on all of them already. Players still available. Zach Evans, Izzy Benacanda, Devon A-Chain are probably the next few guys to go. Maybe I'm shocked that A-Chain hasn't gone yet. I'm really bummed about that. It's, I mean, he's at the point now where, like, I can't really draft him. Like, like, he's too small with, if he's going to get round four draft capital, like, those players just don't produce. It's, it sucks, but it, it just is what it is. 
how many more picks here do we got in uh, round three? We're like, so like 83 Seattle's on the clock, so they're going to take another running back. Oh, okay. 84 Miami Dolphins come up right after this. So that's the one where if, if that could save that chain, the, can, the candle needs to be on for Devin A. Chain at pick 84. And then they, there are still, there's 102 picks in this round, but like then we get into compensatories. Um, yeah, I think this A chain needs to come off the board at 84 to Miami for me to like the dream would, would be immediately alive again. The only issue is like, I like a chain going 51 to Miami so much more than a chain going 84 to Miami, but I don't yeah. think that the market will care that much, right? Like, I like whatever the Delta is in the ADP between a chain 51 to Miami and a chain 84 to Miami, I feel like it's probably going to be like two spots, but for me, it should be like six spots. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like it's, it should be, I mean, I'm not interested in him in the first round now. I think if he gets drafted to Miami, he could legitimately slide above, you know, Will Levis. Like, that could happen. I know you're not that interested in Levis either, but, like, I'm not drafting Atchain at the 201, even if he gets drafted at the next pick. So I would have absolutely drafted him at the 201 if he went at 51. Me too. Me too. 84. Yeah. No, I mean, for, for a guy like him, it's just a little bit too late. Uh, right. Wide receivers, there's not a lot of great ones left. A.T. Perry, Tyler Scott, and Kayshawn Booty are really the wide receivers still on the board. Oh, right. I have my booty bet. It's coming down yeah. the wire. I just need to survive like 16 more picks. Okay. Well, you have to survive the compensatory picks, which is what makes that a tough bet. So, I mean, right. so you, what is it? you is made a bet that he picks? would not go day one or two, right? Yeah, so they're on 83 right now. The Broncos just traded up with Seattle, which the last time the Broncos traded with Seattle went really well. So we'll see how this <laughs> one goes. Um, there are 20 more picks left. So I have to survive 20 more picks for Booty. Um, we'll see where Denver goes. I think they're, I think Denver still needs an offensive lineman. They haven't drafted one yet. And I, I was tipped off. They, they were really looking at interior offensive line on the on their initial pick. I think they wanted Schmitz. So um so our uh, go. our good fa- our good friend Brian at Dynasty Addicts I think has a question for you. Did Devon Atchain oh. go in the second round? He did not. He did not go in the second round. But Brian is taking on some risk by making uh, jokes that invoke Devon Achain right before the Dolphins come on the board. <laughs> so he should he he's going to need to say really nice things about Achain in about five yeah. minutes if the Dolphins take him. We'll see. You're right. But I wouldn't he be surprised if Denver that. takes a running back right here because they just saw Spears go off the board. Denver's been working out all kinds of running backs, and yep. the teams they jump they jump Miami, who obviously would be perceived to be a running back team. The Baltimore. Chargers are a running back team, and Baltimore's a running back team, and the Vikings are a running back and team. And Minnesota, so, yep. All of the – and the Jags and the Rams and the Cowboys and the Bills and the Bengals, like all of the running back teams are in a row, and that's where the Denver Broncos just jumped up to. So um, yeah, and, I think we're going to see three four running backs the next 10 picks. I think we need it for those, you know, late set – because some of the wide receivers, at least in my opinion, some of these day two wide receivers either aren't that good or didn't go to great landing spots – I think we're going to need some running backs in this, you know, range to go to some of these teams that really need a running back in order to lift up, you know, the 206 to 209 range. For sure. Because if there's a running back who goes to uh, Miami, for instance, here, especially if it's not at chain, right? If it's Hank Bigsby, I'm taking him over pretty much all of these wide receivers. 
Yeah. Uh, the Broncos, by the way, did not take a running back. They took a cornerback. So um, that's annoying. But we are, we're still, we still have a lot of shots here. We have, uh, here comes Miami. Miami has disappointed us, though, for several years. We have been rooting for Miami to take a running back. They never will. Miles they never do it. Though, they, take, right? they take Jared Dokes in the seventh round. Like, that's, that's what they do. So we'll see. Um, but every time that Miami comes on the clock from now until the end of time, whatever one of, like, A-Chain, Izzy Abinacanda, and Sean Tucker is still available, it will be the guys that people will uh, will manifest for sure. I thought you meant just in future drafts as well, whenever they're on the yeah, clock, people will right. be manifesting whoever the fastest running back on the board is, just saying Shanahan system and just, you know, assuming right. they're going to draft him. In 2028, when they still have not invested in a running back ever, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll the never other thing that's interesting is um, no, no DeAndre Swift trade so far. I, I think that's probably more likely to happen on day three, but um, I mean, I always thought it would be, I thought it would be, like, I didn't think someone would trade a day two pick for him, but it, I thought someone might do like, I don't know, like the Lions might trade like a round five pick and Swift for a round three pick or something like that. I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, the, the way I see it, like, let's say that the Dol- that you know the Dolphins and Chargers both take running back, so the Vikings miss out on the guy they were targeting. Maybe you see them trade their fourth round pick. I've always said it's basically been a fourth, is what uh, Swift's value is. I think that's overshooting it, but we'll see. We'll I mean, I, you could be right. It might, have been a fourth, it might have been a fourth before the Lions announced to the world that they hate him. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, that's you know, what would have been, you know what would have been a better time to trade DeAndre Swift for a fourth before they signed David Montgomery and drafted a running back at 12 overall, right? Like, I mean, now any team, the only leverage that the – that's the problem, right? Now anytime the Lions before, they only needed one team to want DeAndre Swift. Now they need two teams, right? Like, because there's no team – you're bidding everyone knows that the lions are either going to trade him cut him or bench him at this point so anyone the lions call the only way that they're driving the price up from anything is another team is willing at chain at chain at chain yep actually yep yeah let's go let's go fuck yeah best running back in the league cheers bud Oh my god, dude! I am so fucking excited to watch. Yeah, I mean, he's my favorite player in the class, not from a fantasy perspective, but from like a rooting interest. Oh, that's amazing! Oh, from that's a real so life tasty. perspective. He gets the perfect spot, man. It's dreams come true. Dreams wow. come true. Okay, so we we were just talking about this with some hypotheticals. Let's get real now. Are you taking Atchane or? Uh, Charbonnet. I... <laughs> everything that I believe in my head says Charbonnet, and everything that I feel in my heart says the chain. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll put it this way: like, I think a chain's gonna have the higher ADP, um, and I'm certainly not willing to not have him. So I'll just take him and then I'll figure out other ways to get Charbonnet. If Charbonnet has the higher ADP, then I'll take Charbonnet. But like, to me, that's so much of what rookie drafts is, is like, I figure out all the players that I actually want. And then I look at the ADP and then I figure out what order to pick them in. Right. So like the way I was looking at it before was like, I had now Gibbs might actually go ahead of JSN at least in half the drafts, but like prior to the draft, it looked like eight out of 10 times it was going to be JSN and Gibbs. So I had Gibbs ahead of JSN, 
but I want to have exposure to JSN and I want to have exposure to Gibbs. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this top six situation? Well, I'm going to take JSN at his ADP. I'll take Gibbs at his ADP and I'm probably going to fade Stroud. And that's how I'm going to get over exposure on both. Like it'll be the same thing with a chain and Charbonnet. It's like, I'll figure out which one goes first. That'll be the one I take when they're both on the board. I'll take the other one later. And then and you'll fade Kendry Miller. And I'll, and I'll fade Kendry Miller. Right. So yeah. that's, that's going to be like the situation is, is that I try to do it in these pockets. Um, so I'll have both, but I mean, it's fun. That's just good for the class, man. Like that's really fun to have a fun, fun spot. I agree. That's such a fun spot. I think it really lifts up those late firsts and like really? with good reason. I mean, if he is actually the starter there and they have, I mean, most are Jeff Wilson, both came back. They're both always injured and really just, you know, journeyman players at this point. It, he could, he showed he could handle a lot of touches in college receiving was actually not a huge part of his game interestingly enough and Miami doesn't throw right. to running back so I think he'll be fine there um it's gonna be interesting man because his speed and he has better contact balance and break tackle ability than you'd think if he's getting if he's getting 15 touches a game he could be a low-end RB1 like not even overstating I don't think so right oh man Brian just said in the chat lol I will never troll you again as we finally got it to stop. <laughs> Thank you, Miami. Oh, man. Welcome to Miami. That's so funny. Our, like, when did we ever, ever, ever get the... Exactly uh, like, what we want. Right. Like, we never get the, the fun fantasy picks that people are projecting. And we kind of got it with, with like, Bijan was, like, the mean spot that everyone was like, he'll be a Falcon. And A-Chain went to the mean spot, too. Um, so, it's, it's, I don't know. Whenever you get, like, the fantasy hive mind is like well that's where this person will go it's like feels like a one in 50 chance it happens and we, we hit it on two of the running backs which is super fun. so i i just posted a poll with the four running backs drafted today so that's charbonnet at 21 to seattle miller at 38 to new orleans spears right, at 318 yeah. to tennessee and action at 321 to miami who what do you think the order of that is going to be as far as adp i think it will be uh a chain then I'm really torn on how the Miller Charbonnet thing is going to go. I think it's going to be Miller. Okay. I'll say 18 first for sure. I think Miller and Charbonnet will be really tight, but I maybe agree that it'll be Miller and then Charbonnet and then Spears. Like I I think Spears is solidly going to be last unless Derrick Henry is traded or something, or if there's like rumors that he's going to get traded, but otherwise he's a 200 pound satellite back next to Derrick Henry. So. Yeah, I agree with that. Wow, this is that really spiced things up. Uh, makes up for a lack of, you know, a smash uh, yeah. receiver spot. That's so much fun. So, are you going to be taking Atchain over uh, Dalton Kincaid? No, no, I won't be doing that. Um, I, I guess I would rank. I guess I'd rank him one eleven right now. That's a little spooky. So the 10 guys um, no, who were no, drafted. 112, 112, I think, because I would go Mayer too, I think, over in So the 12 um, guys who were drafted yesterday, Michael Mayer and then Ache. So Sorry, the 10 guys who were yeah, drafted 10, yesterday. 10 guys drafted yesterday, Mayer, A-Chain, I think is where my head's at. I certainly reserve the right to change my mind on this, but that's probably where I'd go. And then like I'm probably looking at Laporta in the early second. I'm looking at Levis in the early second, Charbonnet in the early second. Um all these wide receivers, like, because, I mean, there's I four good ones, four good ones, 
I guess Marvin Mims would be my wide receiver five. That's kind of depressing. Uh, uh, I mean, is Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy getting traded? Like, I guess he can play the slot, but Dulcich plays a lot cool. of slot. Judy plays a lot of slot. And, and in, I mean, I didn't like Mims' tape, but I... I mean, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of like, okay, so how many, what are the wide receivers that went today? So we got. I'll take down. I'll, I'll take downs over Mims. He was 16 okay. picks later. So I, had, I prefer the landing spot and I like him as a talent. Right. So I like the Broncos landing spot better for sure because, like, I don't know. I just think that the Colts are going to pass. Um, and great. I think, like, if there's one thing that Russ has done well, even less so last year, obviously, but if he can get back to any semblance of what he does, like he throws a really nice deep ball. Um, I mean, did Tyler Lockett, right? Right. So like, I think it's a stylistic fit with Mims, which is like, I don't know. I just don't really worry that much about some of the other guys in the sense. That I just feel like Mims is going to have his role. It's going to kind of be what Mims's role is wherever. Like, I think if you put Mims on a depth chart full of scrubs, he's going to run 75% of the routes and have a 14% target share with a 17 ADOT. And if he's on a depth chart with a bunch of studs, he's going to run 75% of the routes with a 14 ADOT and a, or 17 ADOT and a 40% target share. Like I just think he kind of works independently of other players in that sense. Um, to me, he's Jalen Hyatt, but with a production profile. So like, I, I prefer him to Hyatt. Um, I think I, I I think I probably prefer both Mims and Hyatt to Downs right now, but maybe I'll change my mind on that. I, I just think the landing spot is so brutal for Downs. Like, I, I think that the Colts are not going to pass. And I think when you think about, like, how the fit with AR is, like, and they're going to be committed to AR for at least two years, which is enough to write the book on what Downs' dynasty profile is mostly going to be. Like, yeah. he doesn't throw often. He doesn't throw no, you're right. And when he does yeah. throw, it's deep. Like, if there's any guy in the Colts that I'm interested in right now, it's Alec Pierce. Yeah, I think I think you might be right. It like there's just not going to be enough volume there. It's I view it kind of in a mini way as uh, Zay Flowers in in Baltimore, where like there's just not going to be enough volume that unless he's a twenty five percent target share guy, which I don't think either of these guys are. I mean, obviously their draft capital separates Flowers from Downs, but I'm just using that as a comparison within the tiers. Like, yeah. I think you make a good point. My my big thing with Downs versus Flowers and why I had them separate tiers pre-draft. Uh, I had Downs in his own tier among the wide receivers. Like I had I had um, Addison kind of like a half. Like I had a I had within a tier, but I had Addison and then I had Charbonnet and Levis, which obviously that's changing. But like I had the, the two non-wide receivers separating Addison from the other two wide receivers in the tier, which was Flowers and Quentin Johnston. Um, and then I had Downs by himself. And then Mims with Hyatt. Um, I think what separates Flowers feet from Downs is Flowers played more on the outside. He was able to win on the outside. Downs played mostly in the slot. I think he just projects as a slot in the NFL, which makes him landing spot dependent. And it's just, I, I don't know. Like, are the Colts ever going to run 11 personnel with 80% of the time? Like, that's my issue with Downs. Like, how does he get to the routes? Like, it's not just a target per share. Like, if he get up, even if he has a 25% targets per route run, how many routes? Like, is he going to be a slot flanker or are they going to play 11? And I just don't see it. Like, Alec Pierce is the kind of guy where he can I mean, have a 14% do, do you think they might? Run. Do you think they might play more 11? Like, Richardson is pretty well suited to it. Steichen, I think, it, like, it's going to be a new offense, right? 
It is, but Steichen's never ran 11 much. Like he yeah, came from right. Frank Wright's coaching tree originally, yeah. which has always played out of 12 on like half the passing plays. Then he goes to Philly where they play on 12 for like half the pass plays. Like, so we'll see. I don't want to like rule it out. Maybe they play an 11 more. It's just that they've, they've always played in vault. And I think with Richardson, I kind of think you want to play in 12. Like I think you want to have big wide receivers on the outside running down the field. You want to be in play action. Like you want to get Richardson moving the pocket with bootlegs and tight end releases and zone. Re- like, I, so we'll see. I, it's just, it's, it's tough. Like, and, and that's the problem with draft capital, right? Is like, to me, this looks like a situation where the Colts probably really likes Josh Downs, obviously. And they might've even said, they, I bet they had a round two grade on Downs. I bet they come yeah. up in round two and they say, we have a round two grade on this guy, but he's not really a great scheme fit. And then they come back to round three and they're like, well, we had a round two grade on this guy. And if we only play him 60% of the snaps, it's fine because it's round three now, right? Like, I don't think that that's a bad pick from a real life perspective to not play this guy every snap when it's round three, but it's, it would suck for fantasy. I don't know. I don't want to be certain about it. I just think it's not a good spot for him. Yeah. I, I think you largely convinced me, by the way, Tank Bigsby just got picked by the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> oh man uh, i don't like it when one of my guys goes to another one of my guys spots but it's actually no, it's, a really good spot that's for him, basically it's a mini version of the charbonnet uh kenneth walker it is um does not surprise me that the jags go running back um, me neither. they literally don't have another running back on the roster that's viable um yeah so like i, I thought both i thought both jacksonville and seattle were gonna go running back I didn't think either would go round two. I thought it would be round three, round four, round five. So not super surprising because Seattle was the same. Like they had Walker and not even an indictment of Walker. They literally didn't have another viable running back on the roster. So like you got to get some fucking body in there with round three picks. Like we've seen teams draft around three running backs as complete backups. We've seen them draft in this presumed starters. He's certainly not going to be the presumed starter, but I think he'll play. I think he fits nicely in the scheme. Like one thing I've always thought about, Bigsby is I think his best fit and this isn't necessarily how he played best in college but from a tools perspective I think he fits best as a zone runner in the sense that if you think about his physical traits like his best attribute to me is his change of direction skill he's a really violent cutter he's got an incredible dead leg move um, and then he's going to be able to be really well suited in space because even for a taller back I think he actually has a decent amount of power in space he's able to create extra yardage so I think about how he's going to operate under the Doug Peterson offense. And like, it's one that I watch a lot. Like he's going to be in mesh. He's going to be running a lot of those outside zone carries. I think he's going to have success there. Um, interestingly, I don't know who plays third downs for the Jaguars this year. Oh man. Like, I, I, I've always been more bullish on Bigsby's prospects as a pass catcher than the general consensus. I, I think it's and be, yeah. not that good at that. Like, Etienne lost a lot of those snaps to Jermichael Hasty last year um, for a reason. Like, it's interesting. Um, it's fun for Bigsby because I think he has a reasonable chance at having a role. And he's got awesome contingent outside. And that's kind of all I'd want for him. It's just, it's, I don't know. I wanted to draft a lot of Bigsby. I will draft him here. But he's down in a spot next to one of my other most drafted running backs. So, I don't know. I don't have as much yeah, as I did last year. I sold like half my bag, but I had a fucking massive ass bag. So I didn't get rid of all I think it's going to be TN on third down. Tank Bigsby was a very bad pass blocker. Um, I thought he was yeah. a 
fine receiver. Um, he had an 80, 80th percentile target share, but I didn't think he yeah. was anything elite enough to take ETN off the field. No. Maybe they use this opportunity to use ETN a little bit more like they did his senior year at Clemson, where he's going to catch a few more balls and get a little bit less of the first down work. But both of these backfields, meaning Seattle and Jacksonville, are really just question marks at this point. And it's it's hard to say with any uh, real you know security about what's going to happen there. By the way, uh, very interesting. I said I made the poll of the four running backs who'd been drafted at the time, at Shane Charbonnet, yeah. Miller, Spears. At Chain is first at 44%. Not a shot. Andre Miller is second at 38%, which Oof. means Zach Charbonnet is only 12%. Tajay Spears down at 6%. So oh, he's drafting a lot of Zach Charbonnet. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what I said. I think Charbonnet is going to end up being around the 206 to 209 range. Um which is basically a full round fall from where he was projected. Most people had him between pick seven and nine or 10. Um, I'm going to be smashing him at that range too. I, I look forward to sniping you and getting sniped by you and every other league trading up. To yeah, if he goes in the middle of a second, to me, that's like almost a can't fail pick. Like, mm-hmm. like you, 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 you spend a two seven and you get a guy with round two draft capital. Who's just a handcuff. Like, I don't know, like then it's AJ Dillon or whatever. Like I, that's just like, yeah, I'm all about it. Like I would just draft him every single draft if, he, if he's going two six to two nine. And, and that's not saying like he's going to steal Walker's job or anything like that. It's just, yeah, like, that's just underpriced. Um, and people focusing too much on week one projections. So talking, going back to Kenneth Walker, uh, one more poll that I did: Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, and Kenneth Walker. Uh, wh- what do you think's going on in that one? Uh, what do I think is going on, or how would I rank them? Or do you want both? How would you um, rank them? Okay, so Jacobs, Pollard, Jacobs one, and Walker. Jacobs one for sure. Uh, Pollard two. Um, probably Ramondre three, Walker four. Yeah, and that's I mean it right now. Walker is above Pollard, but otherwise, it, right now it's actually Ramondre one. That might be biased towards uh, my Twitter followers, um, <laughs> if I'm being honest, as a as a Pats fan and a Ramondre stan. Um, Jacobs number two, Kenneth Walker three, Tony Pollard four. It's all pretty close though. No, no one has more than thirty one percent of the vote, so we'll see about that. But definitely interesting. I would agree with you. Jacobs is the clear one to me. Pollard. Oh, I have trouble Pollard versus Walker. I, I'm still going to take Walker over Pollard right now. Um, I, I totally get the argument why you wouldn't. Um, it's been great news, by the way. Let's talk about some of the running backs who have survived this draft because three come to mind in particular who were all being sold heavily before the draft for somewhere between the 108 and the 204. Um, Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, and Rashad White have all gotten really scot-free any running back draft in the fourth round doesn't really matter, especially for Pollard and Ramondre, because they've already, you know, proven to be uh, borderline elite three down backs. So props to them. Their value has to be up, especially with some of these other bad landing spots. Like if you said a day ago that Pollard or Ramondre would be above Kenneth Walker, which is now a legitimate argument, if not just correct, that I would not have believed you. Um, yeah, that's pretty legit. I mean, like I had, I didn't have them very far apart in like actual numerical, like rank order, but, um, so pre, pre NFL draft, 
let's see. Where did I have these guys? I had Walker at two, three, four. Um, I have like all these tier lists, so I, I don't actually see the fucking numbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I had I had Walker at RB eight pre-draft, and I had Pollard at eleven and Stevenson at thirteen. Um, and I had ETN at seven, one spot ahead of Walker. Um, so I would move. Like I had, I had Walker and Jacobs previously in one tier, and Pollard and Stevenson the next tier. Jacobs would now be the only running back in that tier. Um, although I probably like, well, let's see. Dallas is going to be on the. Oh, Dallas just took not a running back. They just took a linebacker, so they will not be taking a running back on day two. Yep. So I, I would move Pollard. Like at this point, I would value Pollard the same that I would value Barkley and Eckler. Yeah, and for me, you should be, the big you, should gap. Be a, you should be you should be a middle of the first round redraft pick. Like I think yeah, and I basically had Kenneth Walker at the two three turn, um, while I had Tony Pollard at uh, where are we at pick at basically the middle of the fifth round. So they'll probably meet somewhere in the middle. I feel like Pollard and Ramondre are going to move up into kind of the high fourth round for me. Sorry, high fifth round for me. Startup value. Um, Kenneth Walker is going to fall right around there as well. Um, I also have you know Ramondre Saquon. For me, Saquon and Jacobs are a little bit above that. Um, but it's, you know, it's yeah. all pretty close as well. Fourth and fifth round startup players, which by the way, is the range of the startup draft that I absolutely hate because like you were saying earlier, like, I mean, I'm okay with a guy like Pollard, but for me, it's tough to invest in really any running backs in that range because we've seen how fragile their values are. Talking about Travis Etienne, it sounds like people won't be as, worried about him as they are about Walker, which makes sense. Tank Bigsby is not as good of a player as Charbonnet and was drafted, well, you know, three picks later. Yeah. yeah. But are you moving down ETN? Not, um, a little maybe bit. not in your running back rankings, but just in your, you know, total startup rankings, let's say. Yeah, I would say that, like, I don't know, in the sense of, like, a lot of these running backs, like, I was kind of factoring in some level of, what do I think is going to happen in the draft? Right. So like, to me, like I wasn't drafting Pollard for instance, under the assumption that they wouldn't draft a running back until day three. And I also wasn't doing under the assumption they would draft Bijan. Like I was kind of hedging across those outcomes. So he runs super, super pure. So I'm, I'll be moving him up my ranks. Right. Even though like nothing actually changed for ETM. Like I would say that what I kind of thought would happen, happened. Like I thought they would draft a running back either late day two or early day three. So it won't change my rank a ton. I, he'll probably go slightly down. Like, let me look at my ranks here. Like I will, I had him ahead of um, Jacobs and I move him behind Jacobs. Um, How about like Tyree Kill and Stefan Diggs? Yeah, I already had Etienne below those guys. How about Traylon Burks and Christian Watson? I, I would take Etienne before those guys, yeah. Okay, so it sounds like you still have him kind of in the middle of the fourth round. Yeah, I mean, I think with Etienne, like, to me, he's, like, I don't think he's at any risk of losing his job to Tank Bigsby, certainly not overnight. Um, like, I think that would require, like, an injury, um, probably, like, a serious injury. Um, so I'm not worried about it from that perspective. It's just a matter of, like, I don't know. I already had worries about Etienne's passing game profile after last year. Now he's probably going to lose some percentage of carries. Um, so, like, what are we talking about here? He's probably a low-end RB1 um, this year, which is, like, I will take 
I guess this is where we were at, like about Walker versus Pollard. Like I'm going to always take the veterans that I think can score truly different making production, even if we're on a year to year basis over the younger guys who I don't project for particularly different making production. So like, I'm going to be more interested in the Pollards and the Jacobs and the Hills and the Diggses who I think can threaten 20 points per game this year versus yeah. guys like Walker and Etienne who I don't think are like in imminent danger of like dying. Um, but I don't think they're going to score 20 points per game. Like, I think- And by the way, the Kansas city chiefs just moved up. They swapped picks with the Bengals, which is interesting given their rivalry. I was, I was excited for the Cardinals and Bengals to pick. Now we have talking about running backs picks 94 through 97 is Arizona, Cincinnati, Arizona, Washington. I expect to see at least two running backs come off the board in those four picks. Um, and after Washington, we have Cleveland, who are probably due to take a running back as well, with Kareem Hunt likely moving on. So that's going to be an interesting range. Uh, still waiting on what happened in Kansas City for now. Um, I agree with you as far as I, I might take ETN over guys like Hill and Diggs, but I understand your perspective. Like the yeah. only reason I would probably do that is because of market value. So I, I get what you're saying. Um, and I do think ETN's not going to lose a whole lot of value, especially considering, you know, most people weren't as high on Tank Bigsby as you and I were. Right. And I mean, the thing is, too, like people should remember sometimes, like sometimes teams just draft running backs in round three, and it literally means nothing. Like the, yeah. the Tennessee Titans drafted Darrington Evans behind Derrick Henry, and he never played. The Vikings drafted Alex Madison behind Dalvin Cook, and he was a useful player but he never threatened Dalvin Cook. Like Dalvin It's not Cook only running play. backs. The The Patriots drafted uh, Dalton Keene and Devin Asiasi, and I have never seen either of them play football. Right, the, the, well, the Patriots spent a round three pick today on a player who wasn't even invited to the combine and played at Sacramento State. So, like, um, Oh, was teams, that that safety? Yeah. Daniel Jeremiah said it was his favorite player in the draft. I've wow. never heard of him. Okay. So I, I've never heard of him. I have no idea who he is. But I've I, never I'll heard of him. DJ, I just know that Jake was upset. there. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it too. Um, yeah. I think like, so I don't know. I, I won't even say that. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't even say that like Charbonnet necessarily means it's just like, like Bigsby in the third round, like his range of outcomes to me is somewhere between taking a legitimate role that makes like a legitimate every week role that renders ETN a mid RB two to literally never playing a snap for the Jacksonville Jaguars after like week eight. Like I think that those are his range of outcomes. I think Charbonnet is around two pick and just as kind of a more polished prospect, but I think less concerns um, is more like worst case scenario. He's just a straight backup, but he remains like a legitimate, like Madisonian backup. And top end of his range of outcomes is like he's in a 50-50 split with Ken Walker. Whereas I just like, I don't know, just hard. I think if Bigsby ever gets to that point with ETN, it's like a, it's a long, slow march towards yeah. that. Where it's like ETN I gets get hurt and Bigsby looks really good. Okay, let's get more touches. Now it's 60-40. Oh, Bigsby's playing better. Like now make it like a 50-50. The other thing is like, I don't know. I feel like ETN had a weird year in that people just accepted that he was not that great of a rusher. But thought he'd be a great receiver and then he wasn't that great of a receiver so people were sad about it which is fair but he was actually a really great rusher so i don't think that it's like some given that tank thinks he's just going to come in and steal half his carries like i don't think that would make the jaguars better so i i I think i'm going to end up with a lot of etn after this i i i'm still very high on him as a player i i think 
he can do enough receiving the ball that like, there's no reason he can't put up the receiving season that uh, Josh Jacobs did last year. Right. Or that Dalvin cook did in his better years. So if he's going to do that, and if he's the elite runner that I think he is, and he's proven yeah. to be, um, I, I think people might be a bit low on him. I'll take him easily above uh, Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley still. Um, hmm. I've had him there in the past. I, I don't necessarily see a reason to move him down. Um, especially like, to be honest, I'm worried about Saquon. Like Saquon's peripherals have not been that good recently. I'm not sure he's been the same player since his injury. ETN, meanwhile, came back from his injury and looked probably better than we expected, at least rushing the ball. So I do want to talk to you briefly about the two wideouts we haven't mentioned. And then I want to get into the tight ends Um, because the tight ends to me are really the turning point of this draft and what makes it such a strong draft class, especially in tight end premium leagues. Do you care at all about Rashi Rice to Kansas City or Tank Dell to Houston? Those are yeah, the two guys we've talked about yet. Forever grateful for Rashi Rice going to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I mean, we talk about one zero players out so that we can get access to more shares of players we want. Like, doesn't feel great to zero a player on the Chiefs, but like, I, I don't think that he's, he's going to go ahead of Zach Charbonnet. And and at that point. Stay lovey. I don't know. Yeah. Like I, don't, I would like to not have zero of Rashi. I'll put it. I play in a few leagues that are like exclusively with data nerds. And I very predictably will always be the one like who blinks first, take the guy that other people make fun of. So like I have, I have taken like in consecutive rookie drafts in this league, I've taken Tony, I've taken James Cook, I've taken Brian Robinson, <laughs> I take all of the guys that like no no that everybody else is like LOL and a bad pick, but yeah. like egregiously after ADP, right? Like I took like James Cook at like the 209. Like I took Brian Robinson at like the 309. So like I'll take Rashi Rice at like the fucking 312 in that league or something. But uh, in most normal leagues, like, probably not that interested. Like the, the Chiefs. The Chiefs are like a good landing spot if you're an actual stud in the sense that like you can transcend it. But like if they don't have legit studs, they'll just rotate all their guys around. So they're not the kind of landing spot that makes an okay player a good asset. They're they're a landing spot that makes a legitimately good player a great asset. So like I think Rice could be okay, but I don't think he's going to be great. And, and if he's not great, then the Chiefs landing spot doesn't matter to me. Yeah, I mean, I basically just don't care about the two of them, if I'm being honest. I'm going to have zero shares of Rashi Rice, and if it means I have more shares of Josh Downs and Zach Charbonnet, then that's just an awesome to me. Um, I actually like the few guys who have yet to be drafted, uh, A.T. Perry and Trey Palmer. I like both of them more, and, and Puka Nakua. I like all of them more than I like Rashi Rice, so I don't really care what he does. Um, now let's talk about some tight ends, because – yeah. We can talk about Dalton Kincaid if you want, because I do want to hear a little bit about where you have Kincaid compared to guys like Mayer and Laporta. But we had three tight ends going to the top 11 picks today. Laporta to Detroit, Mayer to Vegas, and Musgrave to the Packers. Then we had, at the end of the second round, Luke Schoonmaker, the surprise tight end five. Uh, I'm a Michigan fan, so I got some thoughts on him. To Dallas, some guy named Brenton Strange to Jacksonville. I do not know who that is. Literally do not know who that is. 
Tucker yeah, so Craft fans are not on my board. <laughs> no, Tucker Craft to Green Bay. I mean, he put up that ten point. Oh no, no, that was Coombs. Craft. Uh, I have never seen play. And Darnell Washington has yet to be drafted, which I absolutely love because I've gotten so many arguments about Dalton Kincaid of all people versus Darnell Washington, and I am so happy that Darnell Washington has yet to be drafted. So. Tell me which of these tight ends are you most interested in. By the way, the Pittsburgh Steelers just drafted Darnell Washington as I finished oh, my sentence. That's, so, so that's he's dead. So that's over. He was only bad because Bowers was in front of him, and now he's only bad because Fryermuth is in front of him. It's weird. It's almost and like Fryermuth is the reason why Zach Koontz was bad. Yeah, it's almost like if you're bad, you have people in front of you because you can't win a job. Anyways, uh, tell me about what you like and don't like about these tight end landing spots and how are you kind of tiering the top, you know, five or six tight ends? Um, so I think like they were all drafted in a similar um, enough spot that I don't think that we really need to change our priors that much, quite frankly. Um, Dalton Kincaid was already my tight end one. He went to the most exciting offense um, and he went first. Definitely would say he probably has the most obstacles in terms of getting on the field right away, just in the sense that the bills already have like a legitimate tight end. I'm not a Dawson Knox fan, but he's like yeah. a real player. Whereas like the Lions don't actually have a real player. <laughs> and the yeah, Raiders and, don't have a real player. Yeah. Neither um, do the Raiders, neither do the Packers, by the way, with Tanya. Right. Neither do the Packers. So like as much as I'm not a Knox fan, he like actually is an NFL football player. So I think that Kincaid early on is probably going to mostly play in 12. That's fine. The Bills have been trying to approach the slot wide receiver position with unathletic five foot eight dudes who don't actually do anything for years. Um, I'm glad that they decided that that actually wasn't the route to success and that maybe they should draft someone who can have an eight out above four. Um, and so I think that's kind of where I see Dalton Kincaid is playing as like a big slot wide receiver early on and rotating with other slot wide receivers like Khalil Shakir. Like I could see him kind of, I, I see like him, Knox, and Shakir as like a three-man rotation for two spots kind of early on. And then long-term, Kincaid is probably going to play, you know, almost all the snaps and passing situations at least. And whether he's on the field for running situations, I don't really give a shit. So um, I, I think it's a good spot for him. Obviously, there's no, um, there's no locked-in secondary pass catcher in Buffalo. And Stefan Diggs is 29 years old. So... You know, there's there's a big chunk of Kincaid's career that is in the post Stefan Diggs era, which is really exciting too in terms of his long term upside. So, I, I think he has the highest upside of any tight end in the class. He now goes to probably the highest upside landing spot of any tight end in the class. And the big thing I would push people about Buffalo is like it's one thing I think for wide receivers, people say actually they don't pass as much as you think because Josh Allen runs so much and Diggs is going to eat up thirty percent of the targets, but like. For a tight end perspective, we don't really need the same level of volume. We don't need to be projecting a 24% target share. If Dalton Kincaid, I'm not saying year one, but like if Dalton Kincaid year two can have like a 17% target share, but on a wide receiver level A dot and score a lot of touchdowns, like that's how you rack up, you know, tight end points. So super pumped about him. I probably just stick with Mayer over Laporta. Like I like Mayer more uh, coming in. They basically had the same draft capital. Um, they're kind of on the same situation. Like both of them have like a low a dot quarterback who will probably pepper them with targets seven yards downfield, which is where both of them live. Um, each of them has a target dominator to compete with and they're kind of in line to potentially be the number two, um, maybe the number three. 
So I think I would just roll with my priors there. And then, I mean, the Green Bay situation is weird and that it's like, I think that they took the better prospect second, right? That's, yeah, that's my yeah. attitude on it. Actually, it's like, I think Tucker Craft, I ranked Musgrave higher in my pre-draft ranks because he was going to get higher DC. I'll rank him higher in the next draft as well. But like, the gap's going to be pretty tight. And it wouldn't surprise me if Tucker Craft outproduces him. He was the more productive prospect in college. So I, I think that, you know, they're, they're attacking the position with numbers and they'll let the cream rise to the top. What would you say? Like, if it, would you say like 60-40, it's Musgrave? 60-40, it's Craft. 70-30, it's Musgrave? Like, who emerges? Uh, I think Craft is the more versatile player. It, honestly, I had trouble scouting Musgrave because he has, I think, 42 career catches, if I'm not wrong. I think Darnell Washington also had less than 50 career catches. Like, there just wasn't that much on tape for Musgrave. He had those two awesome games to start his uh, last season before he got injured and was out for the rest of the year. I believe he had 15 catches for 170 yards and a touchdown in the first, you know, game and three quarters of this last season. But before then his max season high was like 300 yards and one touchdown. So it's hard for me to even look at him as a real thing. I think he's really a project. Well, I think Kraft has the potential at least to come in and be something immediately. I wouldn't be surprised if Kraft actually plays more than Luke Musgrave because for the same reason that you rank Musgrave higher, maybe the Packers had Tucker Kraft higher and they just took Musgrave because they knew they had to early. Right. Like, it's, that's a really good point, yeah. You draft with your board. It's the same thing like if you were trying to get both of them in a rookie draft, you would draft Musgrave higher and then hope to get Tucker Kraft, you know, 30 picks later. So, or in a rookie draft, whatever, six picks later, whatever it is. So... I don't know. I think both of them were drafted in a similar enough range and are similar enough prospects that it's going to kind of be a toss up. I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about Kincaid though, because yeah, going into the draft, he was my 109. And my, wow. 107, my 107 was Zach Charbonnet and my 108 was Will Levis. Wow. So I think I have Donald Kincaid at my 107, which is, I know that's a little bit crazy, but I don't think there was a better landing spot for Dalton Kincaid because I look at Dawson Knox. First of all, Dawson Knox put up 50 catches for 600 yards and eight to 10, seven to 10 touchdowns the last two years. And Dawson Knox is not very good at football. Uh, I'm not saying Kincaid can do that as rookie year, but to me, I view that as his year two floor, essentially. Then yeah. I look at what Dawson Knox did. He played 60% of his snaps from either the slot or out wide. So even Dawson Knox was not used as an inline tight end. If you give Dalton Kincaid, I don't know, 300 routes from the slot and out wide like Dawson Knox got, you mentioned that Josh Allen runs the ball a lot, and he does, but the Bills' offense is so damn good. They were eighth in passing attempts and second in passing touchdowns last year. That's not going to change. Josh Allen is a fucking animal. And and Dalton Kincaid is now the second best pass catcher on that offense. To me, I am taking Dalton Kincaid over Quentin Johnston, over Jordan Addison. And I feel comfortable with it because I think he could put up the exact same numbers and he does it at a more scarce position where you get an extra half point per catch. It's close. I'm not saying it's, you know, they'll be the same tier for me. And like you said, I might take some QJ and Addison at the 107 because I have a bunch of 109s and 110s to take Kincaid. But I'm really high on Kincaid and I think he's going to be absolutely dominant in this offense and and he's just such a good fit oh i love that man and i do think he's the second best pass catcher and, and i love the way you put it i don't know i'm that high but maybe i'll consider moving slight bit up like 
What level of premium are we talking about? One seven? Is this non premium for all formats? Half, I, I half. usually think of the half as like my standard. Right okay, now. I agree. So I, I always rank the half in mind. I had him at ten. Um, like I had him at ten of all the ten of ten, which was the players that got drafted yesterday. There's nobody who got drafted today. I put above him, so I'll probably keep him at ten. Yeah. I, Quentin Johnston, man. Like this is. I'm getting kind of into the process of five Like a lot of this stuff is very much like portfolio dynasty. So I don't know how applicable this is to people who only play in a few leagues, but like. The way I, I look at it from a portfolio lens is very different in the sense that I look at Quentin Johnston and I think like I don't personally love his profile. I think that I have issues with his profile. I don't like that he's very reliant on contested catches and sucks at contested catches. Um, I don't really enjoy watching his film. I, I really struggle with it. I tried to watch some of him because his analytical profile was sending me mixed messages. So I was hoping that the film would push me in one way or another. I, I didn't really like it. Um, at the same time, the production profile is like it's okay good enough that yeah. I'm not like writing him off, right? It's, it's not okay. great, but it's not bad. He broke out early. He has two, three straight years over two yards, fifteen pass attempt per game, and then his yak profile is pretty insane. So there's aspects to his profile I really like. There's aspects that I don't, and the landing spot is so good that like I I feel like if, like, if he hits his ninetieth percentile outcome, like. The way I was describing in the Discord today um, was like it was about Addison and Quentin Johnston. And I actually do have Addison ranked higher, but I was saying like if Addison is Devonta Smith and Johnston is DK Metcalf, and they're both like the same kind of level of talent, then obviously like Metcalf on the Chargers destroys Smith on the Vikings, right? Like that's just sort of what, what where where that landing spot matters. And like if Johnston is just Mike Williams good, then it doesn't really matter because like Mike Williams doesn't really matter. If, if Addison and Johnson are both like Jamar Chase good, then it doesn't matter because then the landing spots don't matter at all because then he's just that yeah. good. But in that like little mini window is where it matters a lot. And I guess where it comes down to for me is I just don't have enough of a take on Quentin Johnston to let his success or lack of success determine how my year plays out. So I'm going to draft 8% and I'm going to make decisions on players I have takes on. It's like, that's, that's just where it is. Like there's a lot of players where like, I'm just opting out. And the way I opt out is not taking zero because that's going to impact my stance. It's like, I'm just going to take him at ADP sometimes. I'm going to get roughly a market exposure and then I'll deal with it. That's why I always want to be overweight on picks is so that I can set my course where I can look at it and be like, Me too. okay, I'm just going to take enough of Johnston that I don't really have to deal with worrying about it. And then, you know, and then I can always trade out of other picks, whatever else, but like, yeah, because I, I want to be overweight on Addison because I think that, like that's that's a guy I really do like. Uh, you don't. I I, I I totally get that. So like, and and I think it's important because you know a lot of people who only play in one league or who are a little bit newer to it. I've actually found it really interesting doing my diagnostics. So out of my dynasty diagnostics, which is the model that I run to essentially analyze all your teams, takes in all your sleeper info, etc. Uh, check it out on my Patreon if you're interested. Basically, only ten percent of my uh, of the people who sign up for my diagnostics have 20 or more leagues, which might sound like a lot, but 40% have only one league. And it's very interesting because we always talk about things in terms of portfolio, right? You mentioned right. 8%. 8% is because one out of every 12 teams is going to have a player in a given league. So I'm the same as you, right? I'm in 80 leagues. That means I want to have about, you know, 
six to seven shares of Quentin Johnston. And I feel similarly about him where I'm not a big fan of him, but I'm not against him enough because not picking a player when you're in 80 leagues is just as big of a decision as picking a player, right? You're making an active choice to not have a guy when you're only in two leagues you play differently because you don't need any shares of Quentin Johnson because you probably only have one 107 or 108 pick. So you're making one choice once. It's a completely different decision-making process. Well, Quentin Johnston is a guy that I'm scared of missing out on. So I did this with Christian Watson last year. I didn't like Christian Watson, but I acknowledged his upside. So I said, listen, I'm going to take Christian Watson, for instance, at the one 111 or 112, which was the worst pick last year. I preferred Rashad White to Christian Watson. So I took Rashad White most of the time at the 202 or the 203 because I knew he would fall there. But if I was at the 112 and I couldn't trade a pick and I was forced to use it, I took a share of Christian Watson here or there. I took a share of George Pickens here or there just so I didn't absolutely miss out and get screwed. And like you said, I have way more picks than average. So in my 80 leagues, I have 141 first round picks and I have 112 second round picks. So I can be overweight on the players I like and be medium weight on the players that I'm uncertain of, and I can fade certain guys as well. So Jonathan Mingo, for instance, is a guy I'm going to fade. I think George Pickens last year, I only ended up with one or two shares. So that's that was the guy that, right? You look at these clusters and like last year, that was a cluster was like Watson, Dotson, Pickens, right? And usually what I come down to is I'm like, okay, who do I think is the best player? Who's the guy I'm most afraid of missing out on? And yeah. then who's the guy that I end up fading, right? It's like a fuck Mary kill, right? And I'm like, I'm yeah. burying John Dawson because I think he's the best player of the three. Um, I'm fucking Christian Watson because he's playing with Aaron Rodgers on a wide open depth chart. And then I'm going to kill George Pickens and I'm going to live with it, right? Like that's just kind of how it winds up being. Um, and, 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 and this year, it's that same, it's that same three-way decision where yeah. it's Addison, Quentin Johnston, and Zay Flowers. So for me, Kincaid is also in that group. I think it's yep. possible that Flowers will go a little bit after the other I two. But... Will go last all the time among those three, I think. I think he was already viewed as the fourth of the four by most people. I had him at three. Um, I had him ahead of Quentin Johnston, but in the same tier. I think he was already viewed as four for most people. I think that the Ravens' landing spot is clearly worse than the Chargers' landing spot. I actually don't think it's worse than the Vikings' landing spot, but I think people will think it's worse than the Vikings' landing spot. Like I think, like To me, I would rather be on the Ravens with a bunch of guys who are like vaguely good, but not obviously like insurmountable um, versus like playing next to Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson for your entire rookie contract. Um, I mean, but I think it's easier. What that see, means, like, what that means just to expand a little bit. That means that Jordan Addison's ceiling is Devonta Smith and Devonta Smith right. is a better player than Jordan Addison, but yeah. Devontae Smith yeah. maxed out at 15 points per game last season. Maybe he could get a little bit better. Uh, the Vikings do throw slightly more than the Eagles do, but they have, now, right, they have, they have TJ Hawkinson who's getting, yeah, they have a 20% target share from TJ Hawkinson and they have a 30% target share from Justin Jefferson. That leaves 50%. Like, it's just not that much. Like, and I like Addison as a player, and I, I, I don't think it's like a death knell landing spot or anything. I just think it's like it's a cleaner landing spot in the sense that people are going to be like, oh, well, he's going to run all out immediately because he's better than KJ Osborne, and they obviously need a wide receiver, so he just slides right into that wide receiver two chair, and it's a clean landing spot. Whereas the Zay Flowers landing spot is messy because they want to run two tight end sets possibly because they have Anderson Likely, and they have Bateman who's like vaguely good, and they have OBJ who 
we don't really know, but he's certainly going to play snaps. They paid him $18 million. And so it's like, it's hard to project flowers, right? Like if I, if you're projecting flowers right now, it's like, how many rugs is he going to run in week one? I don't know. It might be 90%, it might be 40%. I have no idea. It's harder, right? I mean, and, and, and the projections, the projections yeah, I've seen have him at 50 catches for 600 yards and three touchdowns. Right. But and I look at a different. And, and if you map it out on Excel, like if you look at what yeah. their expected outcomes are, Jordan Addison has a much higher expected 2023 production outcome. Yeah, for sure. Because, because like I would project his ropes at like 85%. And so it's like, okay, well, let's say he has a 20% targets per route run on 85% of the routes. Well, that's going to be a 17% target that's share. 600 times one, 85 is 500. 500. Right? Yeah. And you get yeah. to like 800 yards pretty easy. And at the very least you're Van Jefferson from 2021. And, and yeah. you know, but it's okay. What does that fucking accomplish? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. It doesn't matter. You're not starting in year one with that role. You're hoping that he can eventually be a Devonta Smith type of level player where you are starting him every week because things just condense around these three players probably not going to happen in year one Devonta Smith if he was if Devonta Smith in year one played with AJ Brown then he would not have been as good as he was in year one right he became a better player in year two coincided with AJ Brown and so his production doesn't rise quite as much but with flowers I'm sorry I I I gotta interrupt you the 49ers just took my fucking guy Jake Moody kicker from Michigan in the third round I cannot believe it Jake Moody is the truth. I absolutely love him. However, he is not good enough for that. That is absolutely about the fact that they had two late third round picks and and the Raiders picked in between them and they were like, we got to take the kicker first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're up again in two picks. Did they think that the Raiders were going to select them on a kicker? I have absolutely no idea. But they they picked and then the Raiders picked and then they're back on the clock. But they were like, look, we got two guys we want to pick here. We got to lock in the kicker first. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be left over. Like, that's just unintentionally hilarious to me. So for those of you that don't know, Jake Moody, he's kind of a short yardage uh, kicker, 37 for 38 from under 40 yards in the last two years. More importantly, he's got a really weird porn star mustache. Um, he's got the kicker swagger, but why? I don't know why they took him in the third round. That, that makes absolutely no sense. Uh Moving back to Zay Flowers, though, I think what you're saying is basically it's something that I agree with philosophically. I, I disagree with basically just the evaluation of the players and the situations. I, right. I was just much la- lower on Zay than I was on Addison. Um, but what you're saying is that particularly at the wide receiver position, but I think everywhere, really, no, nothing getting 17 plus points per game you base you alluded to that earlier when talking about Tyree Kill and Cooper Cup and uh I think it was Stephon Diggs like if you're not reaching that high level it's not that important so you would rather have two 19 points per game seasons than six 14 points per game seasons or said another way you'd rather have right. a 10% chance of hitting that 20% that 19 plus points per game mark compared to a 60% chance of hitting 15 points per game mark. Yeah. Yeah. I think that fits a well. And, and in terms of the, the rookies, like, yeah, I just think with flowers, like, I don't know. I just think like, if he's the dude, I don't like, necessarily think he's like the dude, but if he's the dude, then he's, then he's the dude because like, I don't know. Bateman, I have no idea what to think of Rashad Bateman at this point. Um, I mean, I think he's probably like like a good NFL player who 
is not really standing in anyone else's way. That's like probably his where per I route. Him. His per route numbers are better mm-hmm. than I expected. I, to me, I hate the flat. I hate the Flowers landing spot because the Ravens just do not throw the ball enough. Like Kirk Cousins threw the ball 200 times more last season than the Ravens did. I know they're getting Munkin in, but the strength of that offense is going to be Lamar Jackson. It's going to be their running game. And I think Mark Andrews is, you know, an elite player who's going to soak up targets. I think if they expand their passing game, I think Mark Andrews is going to get more involved. I do think Bateman is a solid player. And I think OBJ, like, it's the same rationale as downs basically for flowers where I think the Ravens are still going to play a lot of 12 personnel because that's just what their team is built for. I think they're going to play more 13 than they have in the past. But if you look at the past, they've never had really like the players to play 13. So it's hard to see, right? We're all making assumptions based on usage. Ultimately for me, it also comes down to the film eval and the production eval and Zay flowers for me kind of fails in both of those metrics relative to his peers in that range. So I'm going to end up with a lot of Dalton Kincaid because I think Zay Flowers is going to have a similar ADP for him. A lot of people are scared of early tight ends, which which I do understand, but he's going to be the guy that I fade in that range. I'll probably be about even on Quentin Johnston. I'll be way overweight on Dalton Kincaid and probably slightly overweight on, uh, on Jordan Addison. I think like maybe what I'll do... Gosh, I don't even know yet. I'll have to figure out a plan of attack here. But what I'm hoping is that there are some people that are excited about some of like the, I don't know, either like some people that don't see much of a difference between Kincaid and the other tight ends or some people who are really excitable about the round three running backs like Miller and A-Chain and stuff. Sucks. I like A-Chain too. But if I could use some of those picks, move up just slightly, backfill my Flowers Kincaid, because I, I really do think, like, after that 10, to me, there's a legitimate drop-off. Like, I, I'll probably put A-Chain at 11, but, like, as much as I love A-Chain, 188-pound round three running back. Or Wait, a first is it 10? Receiver. Is it 10 or 11? Because we had 10 – oh, 10 Oh, yesterday. right, right, Yeah, Mayer, right? I was going to put Mayer at 11. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know why I don't like Michael Mayer more. I, um, I like – that's like a weird thing where it's like in my brain, I shouldn't actually like Mayer that much less than Kincaid, but I just find Mayer so unfun. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just like, like, I, I get I it. I, like, I had the same like, thing. I, the first time I watched Michael Mayer was in January and I posted a tweet that said, you know, trying to post a Michael Mayer highlight for this thread, still looking for one. Like he's just, he does some good things on the football field. He's just not that exciting of a player. Meanwhile, Dalton Kincaid, everything he does is just fucking electric. Like, he's so fun to watch. It's just a completely different animal. I, like, I think Mayer and Laporta are honestly pr- very similar prospects. Laporta's a better athlete. Uh, I think there was a reason he was drafted. I know it was one pick earlier, but basically at the same place. I understand that evaluation. I think Michael Mayer is going to have to block a lot more than Laporta will. I will probably, in terms of where this is happening, I think Mayor's ADP is going to settle in around the 202, something like that. So you might end up a little overweight on him. I think I'll probably be underweight on him. I'll move down to the 206. I'll take Zach Charbonnet. I'll take Sam Laporta over a guy like Michael Mayer um, at that price, just because 
again, like you said, you have to fade someone. And I just don't see the upside in a guy like Micah Meyer. I think, listen, he's not Cole Komet, right? Like Cole Komet has no production history. Like it, it's, that would be an unfair comparison, but yeah. I don't see Michael Mayer having that like really elite upside. The landing spot is pretty good. Like Garoppolo obviously uses his tight ends. He's always yes. done that, but he has a lot of weapons over the middle, a lot of competition there, and he doesn't have a good long-term quarterback. So it's, it's just tough to really see the upside. I think it's a good landing spot for other tight ends, but not for Mayer. Like, because they're going to run the ball. All the time. Well, and Mayer doesn't create anything, right? Yeah. Like no. to me, like Kincaid on a 16% target share, we're working with something because he's probably going to have an eight odd of like 11 and he's actually going to potentially run after the catch on occasion. But like Mayer more than any of the other tight ends is dependent on volume. He's also probably the one who earns volume the best to be fair. But like, to me, like he's like, a, I mean, I don't know if he's TJ, it's probably disrespectful to TJ Hawkinson to compare Mayer to TJ Hawkinson, but from an archetype perspective, like, TJ Hawkinson, as we saw this year, like he can have value when he's absolutely fed, but he needs to be fucking fed because he's not creating a ton of yards after the catch and he's not getting a particularly high amount of targets down the field. So like Devontae Adams does not give a shit about Michael Mayer. Like Darren Waller's targets for Reverend Rand fell by like seven points when big dick Devontae showed up to town. Like Devontae Adams is going to eat his 30% as long as he is in his prime and like that could fall off at any point. But I don't think it'll be this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, like Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid. So Michael Mayer's target share was twenty three percent. Sam Laporta's was twenty five. Dalton Kincaid was twenty one. So Laporta was a bit better than Mayer, who's a bit better than Kincaid. But the important part is if you look at the average depth of target, the average depth of target for um, Dalton Kincaid was eleven. For Sam Laporta, it was eight, and for Michael Mayer, it was eight. So this is why Dalton Kincaid, Dalton Kincaid was in the 90th percentile for yards per route run, and Michael Mayer was only in the 80th percentile, and that's in spite of that target share gap. And that's what you see with a guy like Dalton Kincaid. He was also, I mean, what I love about Kincaid, 99th percentile among tight ends since 2018 in his first down rate. He's the type of guy who's going to, I mean, Travis Kelsey's a ridiculous comparison to make for anyone, but in terms of the way that they play, I think it's a very similar style where they're, I just, uh, I got to stop. I got to stop talking about Travis Kelsey because I'm too high. I don't Kincaid. I, I got a cool day. Yeah, I, but. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll make you feel a little bit uh, better about yourself. Um, in my pre-draft ranks I, on the Kincaid section, I compared him to Jimmy Graham. <laughs> so, okay. um, so, so I also went with an absurd call. Um, in fairness, I didn't say I thought he was Jimmy Graham, but I said, um, some of his extension at the cash point is reminiscent. Of Jimmy yes, Graham. yes, that's what I mean. They, yeah. they play similarly. Yeah. It's not that he is Travis Kelsey. Right. Um, anyway, so the second round just ended. We've been going for you know an hour and a half plus by yeah, now. Yeah. Um, let's. Why don't we finish up by talking about the guys who did not go in the first three rounds of the draft? Are you completely out on anyone who didn't go in the first three rounds? So let's let's sum up where these guys uh-huh. went. So. Running back are the keys right now because that's where yeah. I think uh, you can find. So, so the guys who didn't go yet, Zach Evans, that's fucking okay. sad. I got to be honest. Izzy Abanacanda, well, yeah, Eric Gray, so fucking vindicated. Uh, like I don't, I don't know. I don't. 
Wait, 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 wait. Shows I get caught on stream. Sorry? No, no, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, sometimes I get caught on stream on these draft shows coming off like an asshole because I'm, like, dancing on a player's grave. But, like, um, I don't know. I feel like I took a lot of heat for being very um, Izzy skeptical <laughs> among did. people in my community. Like, I, I tend to run with the analytics spreadsheet folk a lot of the time. And um, I feel like within that crew, a lot of people were like, he's got this speed score and he's got this yards per run. And, like, and like he was routinely ranked ahead of other guys. So I, I felt good from, like, a pre-draft ranks perspective that I was low on Izzy and then he ends up not going high. By the same token, I was also low on Kendry Miller, so one for two on, on probably the two stands that I was taking there. Yeah, um, so so I would say that Evans, Izzy, Sean Tucker, Roshan Johnson, and maybe throw Eric Gray and Chase Brown in there for guys who... Really it's a, Roshan. Yeah, so which of these guys, let's say all any of them get drafted at pick 15 at a fourth round. Who are you still most well, interested in? Roshan is the best suited to serve survive day three capital because he'll be active on game days because he plays teams yep um is he also potential kick returner i think with his profile so i think he has an out to play special teams um so i think both those guys are, are some level of interest and then you look at some of the satellite backs like eric gray kenny mcintosh like they're also probably guys who are active on game days because they'll be drafted for roles so that's the most interesting to me a guy like a chase brown or a Sean Tucker, Tucker yeah. or um, Zach Evans, like who are not like, I don't think they really project to play teams in any way. They don't really project to have like a specific role on a team. They're more like generic running back types. Like we're in the danger zone. So obviously not a death knell, but they're going to be really landing spot dependent where like they so, need to land in the Damian Pierce, Tyler Algier type of landing spot where they have a pathway. So like, if they like the Cardinals haven't drafted a running back yet, that's a that's a spot where you can just like walk into being the number two next to a really old running back on a team. That's Maybe terrible. the Commanders. Yeah, the Commanders is not the worst, but see that's the thing. Like to me, the Commanders is like a better spot for a day. Like if the Commanders are taking a guy day one, day two, it's really exciting because it's like oh they could be number one on the depth chart. It's like. A little sketchy with a day three guy because like okay there's like a chance they could rise all the way to number one but the more likely outcome is they're the rb3 and then they have some other guy who plays special teams and they're literally healthy and active right like that's once so it, i can kind of go either way i mean cowboys is a great landing spot because you're gonna because they, they have yeah so and malik davis right they don't yeah so from a dynasty perspective i think it's almost more important to look at the incumbent running backs who might be harmed by a running back drafted at round four rather than the incumbent okay, rookie everybody. So let's say uh, someone I don't think anyone is harmed by a round four rookie. Like I don't so, so if the if the Patriots draft a Banacanda or a Zach Evans with the fifth pick around four, you just don't give a shit. Yeah, like I'm sure that market people will care, but like No, I I, I agree with you. Here's a here's the rule of thumb, yeah. people. After the first kicker is drafted, you don't have to worry <laughs> about running backs on incumbent teams. Like that's the 49 drafted a kicker. You no longer have to be concerned. That means the draft is over. The draft is over. Yeah. Like, I must, once the first kicker, punter, long snapper, or fullback comes off the board, that's when running backs are no longer assured of anything, including activity on game day. So I, I, I think it's like, I'm not saying that these guys can't have an impact, right? Like, 
Kenny Gainwell, for instance, round five pick, obviously wound up having a role. That role legitimately changed Miles Sanders' role. But I don't think that Kenny Gainwell changed Miles Sanders' role. I think Miles Sanders changed Miles Sanders' role, right? Like, I think Miles Sanders wasn't good enough on passing downs, and they had another guy who was, and so he ended up taking on a portion of the role. But, like, I don't think that anybody who's drafted tomorrow is not owed shit, right? If... If, if the Buccaneers draft a running back tomorrow, and they probably will, like that, the only way that that impacts Rashad White is Rashad White's fault, right? Like yeah. Rashad White and round four pick um, Zach Evans, like Rashad White, you get the first crack. And if you aren't good enough, then maybe another guy takes your job. And I would like that spot for the other guy in the sense that you get to go into a really open depth chart with an uncertain incumbent. But that's not like, if you are holding, a, if you're a Rashad White believer, then you shouldn't be deterred, right? If you're a Tony Pollard believer or a Monterey believer, and you think that they can take on all comers, you should not be afraid of a round four running back. I don't even think and, you need to be that afraid of a round three running back, but certainly not. And, and just to give some examples there, so the Ramondre comp, right? Pierre Strong was a fourth round running back last year. Right. So basically, there's one good fourth round running back every year. 2022, five running backs in the fourth round. Damian Pierce is the only relevant one. 2021, there were four. Ramondre is the only relevant one. 2020, there were four. None of them were relevant. 2019, there were four. Tony Pollard, the only relevant one. 2018, none relevant. 2017, I guess Jamal Williams. 2016, none of them relevant. So 2015, none of them relevant. So basically, you know, out of the last 36 running backs taken in round four, about five of them, just again, looking over this to the cursory glance, had an RB1 season or were relevant. And that's including guys like Damian Pierce, who might not have been relevant for long. So as much as you might have loved a guy like Zach Evans pre-draft, and I and I did, as much as you might have loved Izzy Abedekanda, I didn't, but others did, they're probably dead. And if they get drafted to your favorite running backs team, that running back is probably okay. So a good thing to keep in mind when looking at the draft tomorrow. Um, any parting words? Uh, actually, let's hit on the wideouts who are left really quickly. Kayshawn Booty, we already mentioned. Hey, any yeah. One one Fuck yeah, I'm going to text Tyler. So any <laughs> other any uh, other wideout you care no, about I, that didn't go? I didn't care about the running backs that were drafted today. I certainly don't care about the running backs being drafted tomorrow. Like I, I've never done less work at wide receiver in this class, just in the sense of like, yeah. I, I thought there were like, I thought there were four good wide receivers in this class. Um, they all went round one. I, I like kind of liked Downs and Mims, um, and I thought Hyatt was like minorly intriguing, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's been a, most other years. There's like guys that I had legitimate hopes to go day two, and then I'm like, oh no, I can't believe they fell to day three. But we were into guys who I yeah. Other than Downs today, every other wide receiver on the board, if they went day three, I would have been like, yeah, that is kind of reasonable. Um, so yeah, I, I I mean, to me, I haven't counted the number of players who've gone today. I guess I could do that real quick, but I basically view. Anyone who hasn't gone yet is not worth a future second round pick, just to be very general about it. No one drafted tomorrow, even if Zach Evans, who was my favorite running back on the board, goes to Cincinnati, he's just not going to be worth a a second round pick because Joe Mixon's going to stay and they're probably going to draft a new guy in 2024. Because if you're a fourth round pick, you're just not going to stick around, you know? I mean, 
I thought Damian Pierce was worth a second round pick last year. Um, for sure, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, I think a, I think a player can be worth a second round. Pick. But but um, it was a it was a worse draft last year. So so just just to say already this year there have been five quarterbacks and seven running backs. That's twelve players. There's been six, yeah, but eight, I, I would ten. Throw uh, some there's been tomorrow. It's there's a been landing yeah, no, I I see that. There's been 14 wide receivers and there have been uh, nine tight ends taken. So there have been 35 players taken. Obviously, Let's some see. of these guys, some of these guys you're going to take running backs over and I endorse that. I've always said, take a backup running back in an ambiguous situation over a wide receiver four, like without a doubt. Right. It's just Let's, let's, say, Sean, let's say Sean Tucker goes end of round four to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Um, I would take him over all but four wide receivers. Um, you I would take, take round him. four Sean Tucker over Marvin Mims, Josh Downs. Yeah, I don't care about his wide receivers. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying yeah. you're wrong. I, I'm just yeah. I think I would over Downs. I, I would think about it with Mims. So okay, I'll set. I'll leave Mims to the side. So. I, I, up to five wide receivers, I would take over Tucker. Um, five quarterbacks. Fine. Uh, wait, five quarterbacks? Four quarterbacks. I'm definitely yeah, taking Tucker over Hooker. Yeah. Okay. Um, so four quarterbacks. So that's nine. Four quarterbacks. So that's nine. And then five uh, running backs. How many, how many? How many tight ends? We got Mr. Gade. We got Mayer. We got Laporta. And Musgrave, Craft. The Eagles? No, just the three. So I think I would do three, five, four, for, which is 12. 12. And I'm and not taking 12 running backs over him, so he's definitely going around two. How many me. running backs? You'd probably take five. So well, he would be your I'll, 206. I'll, so for, for sure, I would take, obviously, the two-day one guys. A-Chain, Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Miller. Miller. Um, Tank or Spears? Not Spears, no. Um, and Bigsby. So I would take uh, six. So 207. 207. Yeah. yeah. So, and there's there's other guys like that, like Zach Evans. Zach Evans, Roshan Johnson, Sean Tucker are probably the three guys where if they landed in a spot where they could feasibly be the RB1 in their first year, I would take them in the mid to late second. You're right. There are a few smash landing spots left. To me, it is really just Cincinnati, if they cut Mixon, which I don't think they will right now, and Philly. Philly seems like the smash landing spot, although I expect Philly to draft two running backs tomorrow um, if I had to make a prediction. Uh, I, I think I, that's I the actually, way to go. Who do you think that they'll take? Because I, I feel like Philly is like one of the few teams that thinks like us. So I kind of think that we can somewhat guess their picks. Like I like I don't know. Like I, I was like like I like I Penny was on my guess yeah. list for them free agency because I was like, that's the kind of guy that Philly would take, right? Like to me, I think that they would take Sean Tucker. Like that's me the exact kind of player that they would take is like, we're going to get a guy, like we're going to attack the position with numbers. We're going to take two guys who have upside and we're going to take I, two guys that have interesting I mean, concerns and one of them is going to work. I think, I think, I think like Evans and I think Evans and Abenacanda both make sense there. Uh, yeah. Both of them. I don't think Tucker is going to get drafted. Um, I just, and it has nothing to do with him as a player. It's just the medical stuff. I'm not a doctor. I I don't know. But reading through the tea leaves, like, it seems pretty bad. Um, Anyway, sorry to end on that dour note, but. uh, Yeah, it was a big bummer. 
Yeah, but third round is over. We had a hell of a third round. I think Devon Atchain uh, going to the Miami Dolphins. Oh, that just made me so happy, man. That was, was so awesome. Happy. That that made me really happy. Yeah. Made up a little bit for the Zach Charbonnet and Josh Down situations. Yeah, the Downs one is a big – I mean, it's, it's. I'm so conflicted on the Downs thing because, like, I'm so hyped that he went you should to the be. Colts. And I'm so be. sad that he went to the Colts. <laughs> like, it's, like, and, and the funny thing is, is that, like, I'm really excited about Richardson on the Colts too. Yeah. It's just I'm not excited about Richardson for his slot wide receiver. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I, mean, like, I, I love, I love not drafting rookies because as much as I loved Downs and Charbonnet, I have zero shares of them. So at the end of the day, yeah. I don't really give a shit that like, oh. it's sad, but I'll probably just get him cheap. I haven't even thought about my pre-draft rookie bags. Let's see. what I did two pre-NF, or I did three leagues with pre yeah, who, who do you have? So I only did so one. And one of them was a had... startup, so it wasn't a rookie draft. It was a startup with rookies included. Okay. And I, the rookies that I took were Gibbs, a 408. Wow. <laughs> that feels good. Uh, I took A-Chain in the 11th, so that's nice. Wow. Uh, I took Darnell Washington in the 14th, so that's not nice. Um, can't remember. I probably took a couple other running backs late, but nobody that I like particularly remember offhand. The other one I took, oh, oh, I have a 202 Hyatt. That's dead. Um, but I got Gibbs at the 1-6. Nice. Uh, I took the triple condom Bryce Young 102, who I knew wouldn't end up actually being my 102, but that just kind of felt like what I had to do in the moment. Yeah, I get it. Uh, um, oh, I took Bigsby 212, which is probably about where I'll have Bigsby ranked. Um, yeah. Roshan in that draft, which is uh, a bummer. Tough. And I took another third round Darnell, which that sucks. I thought I was getting such like, it's funny because I don't even really like Darnell Washington, but I just thought like I was going to get such good closing line value on these round three Darnell Washingtons, which I obviously didn't. And then the most recent one I did, I took JSN at the 1-6, which is kind of a bummer because Gibbs was there, and I had Gibbs rank ahead, but I was like, yeah, I did, already did two Gibbs. Did that high? Yeah, you went at the 104, which that's a tough scene for that individual. <laughs> um, but uh, but I was like, I'll take JSN for the exposure. Um, that's fine. I'm still like, totally fine with him at 1-6. I took... A chain at the two seven. Uh, love to see nice. it. And then Musgrave three six. And I actually forget. That's pretty what good too. In the fourth, I took like some running back, probably one that didn't go today. My only draft I did. It's a full tight end premium league. Two copy. I took Tucker Craft at the three twenty four, which isn't bad, right? It's oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And then I took, I took I took like Tank. I took Tank Dell at the 424. Um, That's great value, dude. That's thrilled. Thrilled about that right now. Early third round to the Texans. Open wide receiving core. I'm hoping to trade him. Skolanski box. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. All right. Anyways, this is a great time. Thanks for hopping on and sticking with me for a long time. Great chatting up with you about the draft. Uh, before we sign off, because this will be published as a podcast, will you just remind everyone where to find all your good work and your sub stack and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. You can find my stuff on uh, Thinking About Thinking, which is my sub stack. It's just jacobsanderson.substack.com. Jacob sold with a K. But if you just go to my Twitter, there's also Jacob Sanderson. It's pinned. So you can find everything there. Um, 
I'll let people know what's going to happen with that. So I already did a very extensive write-up on my pre-draft rookie rankings. Very extensive. Place you'll find. By the way, <laughs> I've yet to congratulate you. Congrats on graduating law school. Big news. You. And congrats on writing 7,000 <laughs> words for your rookie profile or whatever the hell it was the next day. That's equally impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote a lot about that, uh, which is nice because then I won't have to write as long in the post-draft. I can just link yeah. to the pre-draft. Um, I already wrote a lot of, I wrote a short piece about Gibbs this morning. Um, I will probably do some writing tonight about some of the day two. I certainly won't get to everybody, but maybe just like a few takes that I have. And then the goal is Sunday, I will have my full ranks posted. And then like Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm going to have what I call my walkthrough, which is where I kind of go through each tier, talk about guys that I want to um, trade up for, guys I want to trade out of, trade down from. And I'm going to walk through that process that I was talking about, about like that. These are the guys that I want to get neutral exposure to. These are the guys I want to get heavy exposure to. These are the guys that I don't care if I get any exposure to. Um, And so I'll I'll go through in a lot more detail um, at that point. So excited for that. And then last thing is a week after the NFL draft ends, once we actually get some ADP, what I'll do is all my finalized ranks, which I put two forms of ranks, which is one is my vacuum ranks. So how do I actually think these players should be drafted if I was the arbiter of ADP? And then two, how am I drafting these players based on the ADP that actually exists? And so you can kind of look at both of those um, and and, and that uh, instead of four. So all that will move in the next week. Make sure to check that out. Yeah, definitely check it out. It was great to talk to you. I love the, uh, you know, in-depth intellectual and, you know, philosophical and mathematical way that you look at uh, Dynasty. Um Definitely what I love about these ranks is I I put out the same type of ranks where I say, if I was in a league that allowed it, that allowed no trades, here's how I would draft, which is basically you're in a vacuum rankings. And then how am I actually going to draft given the market structure? So definitely make sure to check that out from Jacob. Um, If you've made it 120 minutes into this podcast, you probably know all my information. Check out Dynasty Zoltan, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll be back shortly. Thanks Jacob for uh, for hopping on. Absolutely. See you later. Have a good one.